If you want to come in, there's more space on the floor up here and whatnot if anyone wants to pull up a patch of carpet um, or you can stay in the back. We're going to be in here for the first section and then we're going to migrate up to my house and um, continue to have more of a collaborative time up there and homemade s'mores as well. Um, and I have hot water and tea out. Um, we can make you coffee. So if anyone's feeling a little bit chilly, I think it's feeling decent up there right now, but um, we want to make sure you have warm options for your insides too. So. Um, yeah, I'm Jen Schuler, um, and I'm excited to be here with you today. And I'm amazed at how many of you are here. So thank you for joining me. Um, as we get started, I just wanted to give you a little bit of, of a brief background of who I am um, and maybe why I'm given toward hospitality, but I came to know the Lord over a season of time that began in my secular sorority house, Delta Gamma, um, at UC Berkeley, of all places. Go Bears! Go Bears! <laughs> Warms my heart. Um, <laughs> and that was through the faithfulness of a few followers of Christ who strategically lived with 70 of us um, who did not know him and came together as a summer staffer at Hume Lake. So it started at Berkeley came together as a summer staffer at Hume Lake the summer after I graduated from school. Um, the middle part of my story has everything to do with my dad. I woke up to a 6 a.m. phone call on March 1st of 1999 from one of my dad's best friends informing me that he had been in a skiing accident the day before um, that left him a C5 quadriplegic. Uh, as his only child, he didn't want me to know until he came out of surgery successfully so that I wouldn't worry. Um, but needless to say, at that point, life flipped upside down in a as a side note, you can probably tell from my tears, um, I've always been incredibly close to my dad. My parents divorced when I was seven, and I split time equally. So whenever I was as an only child, I was with mom or with dad. It's just the two of us. Um, and my dad is very definitely one of my closest people in life. Um, I thought I was a believer at that point, but my lack of lifestyle change and ongoing practice of sinning um, indicated otherwise. I knew about God, but didn't have evidence of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. And I became stuck and sad in what felt like a hopeless situation after his accident. I knew that I desperately needed the Lord and made the decision to follow my best friend Julie to Hume Lake for the summer. By God's grace, I was somehow hired um, very late in the process and without sincere faith, though I probably faked it pretty well. Um, and during the course of that summer of 1999, I came to actually know the Lord. I don't know exactly when. It's more of a process for me. But I do know... Um, I have memories of a few pivotal moments, and I walked away from that summer fully submitted to the Lord and changed by the power of the Holy Spirit um, and set on a path of learning how to follow him. I met my husband, Joel, that same summer. Um, three years later, after six summers for Joel and three for me, we moved to Hume five days after our honeymoon for a year or two, and here we are. So, <laughs> um, we just passed 21 years in June, proving that we just don't know the plans the Lord has for us, and we're grateful to still be here. Um, I should probably mention at this point that we have since had three delightful children, one of whom is in the back here. My Ellie is our oldest, and she is a senior in high school this year. So we've had the privilege of raising all three of our children at Hume Lake so far. Um, the Lord has gifted me with a passion for people and community combined with energy for hospitality. Hospitality and the cultivation of community were modeled well for me growing up, particularly through my dad and his family, who were all really good at turning strangers or acquaintances into friends and friends into family. In moving to Hume, I began to experience the community of the church for the first time on a daily basis. Um, 
or in daily life, what it looks like for a small town of sorts to be the church to one another and to be folded into a larger family. Uh, it has been imperfect, but so good. Some seasons have been harder than others, and there have been dark days, but the Lord is faithful. Though my life had already demonstrated a bent toward gathering and knowing people, there was a marked moment in time during a particularly painful season up here in which she made it clear that cultivating <coughs> community should be one of the things to which I give my time and energy. In all honesty, this was a number of years ago now, um, Joel and I were praying to leave. It was a time in this community that was just hard. Um, but the Lord answered not only with a discernible no, but with the clear instructions of Psalm 37.3. It was actually on a walk with Emily um, that that became a little more clear. But it's the dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. And it was such a clear and resounding answer from him. Uh, those words fueled and continue to an intentional pursuit of what it might look like to dwell and cultivate faithfully. He has given me both a strong desire to continue year over year, as well as a burden for the ways in which we are missing the mark. Um, often highlighted by people who leave feeling like they weren't folded into the Hume family. It's a, just a continued um, effort. So today we're gonna focus on essentially the question of how, and I suspect that many, many of you in this room are given to hospitality already, um, but how um, do we do hospitality and community in the conversation together? Um, how do we create a lifestyle of hospitality using the unique gifts and talents God has given us to welcome strangers um, and to cultivate the kinds of connections that allow others to feel known and loved? How do we embrace a lifestyle that makes space for others? Um, more than just creating welcoming spaces, how do we creatively welcome people into our lives, which I would say is the hospitality portion, and into life together community? Um, before diving into the conversation of how, though, um, let's look at a bit of the biblical definitions and information from current research on the state of culture right now that would seem to indicate that we have a desperate, desperate need for members of the body of Christ to increase our efforts to engage in hospitality. Uh, so I might put my dear friend Donna on the spot a tiny bit because I'm not sure that I'm going to pronounce these Greek words the right <laughs> way. So if you feel like I'm not, just interject. <laughs> um, Hospitality in the New Testament, as I was preparing for the seminar, stems from two Greek words. Um, philos, friend or loving, um, loved, dear, befriended, friendly, and kind. And xenos, a stranger. So philo-xenos, um, hospitable, loving strangers, a friend of or kind to strangers, also kindness to strangers. Um, that was surprising to me, if I'm being honest. I didn't realize the connection in scripture so strongly between strangers and hospitality um, beyond hospitality broadly to all. So it's pretty eye-opening. Um, we see in scripture that hospitality is not a particular spiritual gifting, but rather a biblical imperative for all who follow Christ. In a thorough word study on hospitality, which truthfully there aren't that many verses uh, directly speaking to hospitality, but we find references to hospitality as part of the way in which we are to live out our faith and use the particular gifts given to us by the Lord. So um, we're going to pass out, in because I'm just going to rapid fire go through these, I thought it might be helpful to see scripture in front of you without having to flip. Um, so my two lovely helpers are going to pass out. Thank you. 
my hope in going through these two is this that you, just that you'd feel encouraged and equipped to keep going. And then again, I suspect a lot of you are already engaged in hospitality, but here's some of the scriptural backing for it. And for me and personally, um, well, there's nothing I could say that would be more important than God's word. And um, I, I feel fueled by the word of the Lord to continue. So I hope that you get that same encouragement. Romans 12, 1 through 21. So this is, I think, all of Romans 12. I'm just going to read it all for context's sake. Um, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peace peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not become overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In looking through that passage, it became clear to me, at least, that hospitality isn't simply about welcoming people into our homes, it's a heart posture that stems from the love by the mercy, stems from love by the mercy of God. Um, showing hospitality is one way we get to present our bodies as living sacrifices. It is an act of spiritual worship. Um, part of hospitality, or the heart behind it, is loving others with genuine love and brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor, not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. And when we enter in with others, we rejoice with them, we weep with them, uh, we associate with the lowly, we feed the hungry, and we give them the thirsty something to drink, which probably is physical thirst met with water, but even more the living water that is Jesus uh, to those who are spiritually thirsty. And it includes our enemies, which is a good reminder to myself anyway, uh, that it's for all. Um, 
And hospitality is one way we get to serve the Lord, no matter our different giftings. 1 Peter 4, 8-11 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I love that um, that hospitality is commanded, and then and then it talks about using our gifts in that. And so that's something we get to to share with each other in a little bit here. Um, Hebrews 13, 1 through 2, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Matthew 25, 35 through 40 was one of the cross references. Um, so I included it. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. Um, I included Job because it's just a brief snippet and not even a complete sentence that I included. But um, Job talks about showing hospitality to the sojourners coming through his direction. If the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been filled with his meat? The sojourner has not lodged in the street. I have opened my doors to the traveler. Um, Third John 1, 5 through 8. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. That idea, too, that we show hospitality, maybe to strangers that we do not know, but are, who part of the family, are part of the family of Christ. And that particular verse gave me a lot of pause as I was just pondering, what would I do if it was Jesus in my house that came to the door? What would I give him? What kind of food and drink would I send him on the way? What resources would I give to him? And how do I then translate that in my mindset too to others? Um, Galatians 6, 9 through 10, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And that was a cross-reference tied into hospitality. Um, and we even see in 1 Timothy 3, 2 and Titus 1, 8 that hospitality is a qualification for elders, um, which indicates to me that it's not, again, a spiritual gift, but a fruit of the Spirit um, played out, or the fruits playing it themselves out. Um, OriginsCommunity.com defines hospitality this way. So then, hospitality is when we treat outsiders and those who aren't like us with the same sort of affection as we would those who are closest to us and most like us. NIVBible.com says hospitality is the practice of welcoming, sheltering, and feeding with no thought of personal gain, those who come to your door. Much more than elegant menus, elaborate table settings, or lavish entertainment, hospitality is sharing what we have and who we are with whomever God sends. Though the idea of engaging in hospitality can feel really intimidating, I think what we really see in scripture is that biblical hospitality is simply using whatever resources we've been given 
time, treasure, talent, spiritual gifting, our dwellings, food, transportation, etc., to enter in with anyone God places in our path to welcome, to meet needs, and to love well. Certainly some people may be gifted with extra energy uh, for hospitality or abilities that seem to fit more naturally with it. But like we were all called to be ready to proclaim the hope of the gospel of Christ at any given point, and some actually have the spiritual gift of evangelism, hospitality is a call in all of our lives. Beyond an initial welcome, hospitality can be used to open a doorway to relationship with strangers and acquaintances that can lead to friendship. And over time, this kind of intentionality leads to the cultivation of community. And I would define that as a place where people find belonging or perhaps a group whose support for each other in daily life is more akin to family. Another way to define the difference, um, hospitality is the practice of entering in with people and welcoming them into our lives and community is the further practice of welcoming people into life together. Beyond the simple answer of hospitality being commanded in scripture, why does it matter on a practical level? A quick look at some of the statistics of our current culture would suggest that this biblical call to engage in hospitality continues to be of the utmost importance. There are desperately hurting people all around us if we just have eyes to see. So these are gonna be some quick rapid fire statistics. Um, so statistics from 2021 and beyond indicate that our um, non-work or non-school screen time use continues to increase. So in America alone, adults average seven hours, four minutes per day. Uh, again, this is non-work, non-school. 13 to 18 year olds, eight and a half hours per day. Uh, eight to 12 year olds, five and a half hours per day. These are the statistics for like entertainment screen use too, is kind of the broad category. According to common sense media, and that would include social media, 84% um, of teens use social media as part of the screen time, which is significantly higher than the 34% who say that they actually enjoy using social media a lot. Surprisingly, 38% of eight to 12 year olds are also using social media. For context, children typically turn eight in the middle of their second grade year. Unsurprisingly, the Barna Group has conducted research on loneliness. Um, Susan Metz, a behavioral scientist and researcher writing for Barna, Barna sorry, defines loneliness as the distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. She goes on to say, it's lack, it's disappointment. It's something we are conscious of even when we don't call it loneliness. In a study of 15,000 people um, aged 18 to 35, from 25 different countries titled The Connected Generation, conducted in 2019, so pre-pandemic even, um, Barna found the following. Only 33% often feel deeply cared for by those around them. 32% feel that someone, singular, someone believes in them, which also means that 68% could not identify a single person that believes in them. 23% um, acknowledge encountering feelings of loneliness and isolation, including 19% of self-identifying Christians overall, 16% of Christians who value and are active in their faith, and 21% of non-practicing Christians. 28% um, call themselves sad or depressed. 40% have anxiety about important decisions. 40% experience uncertainty about the future. 40% experience fear of failure. 36% feel pressure to be successful, and 30% feel the need to be perfect. Uh, in more pointed categories, 20% met the definition of anxious, and of those, 59% reported a sense of isolation. 22% of those with definitional anxiety attend a place of worship weekly. 
So these aren't necessarily people who are outside of the church. Um, in a study conducted in 2020, again, pre-pandemic, um, well, and I should identify that, it was 2020 pre-pandemic starting. Um, Barna found that three in 10 Americans say they feel lonely at least once each day. Among practicing Christians, 20% feel lonely at least once each day with 10% being lonely all the time. Among US adults, the younger you are, the more likely you are to experience loneliness. So just a few statistics broken down by category of generation. Um, those who identify as lonely once per week, uh, boomer generation said 36%, Gen X, 57%, and millennials, 68%, uh, which is where that survey stopped. Um, lonely for some of each week, boomers were 19%, Gen X was 33%, and millennials was 46%. And lonely all the time, so constant loneliness, was uh, boomers 4%, Gen X 15%, and millennials 22%. Singles are more likely to feel lonely by a wide margin, wider post-pandemic. But there is also a strong correlation between those who say they lack privacy and increased loneliness, which would suggest that the mere presence of people doesn't solve loneliness. Among pastors, as of March 2022, 42% have considered quitting full-time ministry in the last year, which is up from 29% in January of 21. Of these, 43% say they feel lonely and isolated. Of those who have not considered quitting, 18% still report loneliness and isolation as factors that have negatively impacted their ability to lead their church. This brings the total to 28.5% of all pastors reporting loneliness and isolation. In September of 2022, um, a study titled The Resilient Pastor reported that 65% of pastors reported feeling lonely or isolated. 47% said sometimes, 18% said frequently which represents a 23% increase from the same survey in 2020, I'm sorry, in 2015. 80% said they are well-known by someone, again, singular, who isn't in their church or family. And while positive at 80%, that statistic also means that a full one-fifth of our pastors don't feel well-known by a single person outside of their family or the people that they're called to shepherd. Even the Surgeon General, surprisingly to me anyway, is sounding the alarm. Um, I happened to stumble on this article just a few days ago, so after this was all put together, um, but I included it. It's from this last spring. Um, he had been out identifying in various interviews and whatnot. Um, this article was reporting on that. He identified the poor physical health consequences of loneliness and isolation, the physical side. There's a 29% increased risk of heart disease, a 32% increased risk of stroke, a 50% increased risk of developing dementia for older adults, and additionally, lacking social connection increases risk of premature death by more than 60%. He also identified mental health risks and said that loneliness in the U.S. poses health risks as deadly as smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day. Um, this research just confirms, and again, all of these statistics, I think what we all know and many of us have probably experienced or are currently experiencing. Uh, people feel disconnected in ways that grieve their hearts, despite living in an era of history in which they spend much of their day seemingly connected to the world via the internet. Let's go back to the definition of loneliness. The distress someone feels when their social connections don't meet their need for emotional intimacy. It would seem that what is missing is depth of relationship. Timothy Keller wrote in The Meaning of Marriage in a well-known quote, um, to be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. 
It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. This obviously happens through God alone in perfect form. However, even in our finite capacity as humans, as we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves, how do we cultivate a place of belonging for people around us and establish those kinds of connections that allow others to feel known and loved? How do we fold acquaintances into friends again and friends into family? Benjamin Wendell, a self-described millennial writing about his generation in a blog for Barna says, the kind of community we are searching for is harder, more costly, and more time intensive than we realize. And there are no shortcuts. It is also so much more beautiful, enriching, and fulfilling than we could imagine. If we truly want our local church to be a life-giving spiritual community, we must entangle ourselves with the people around us. I just love that last image, entangling ourselves with the people around us. How do we do that? In 2018, um, I started what would turn into a four-year study going through the four Gospels concurrently um, in a chronological manner, followed by Acts with my Bible study. I honestly thought it would take us about two years until we came to Acts, uh, but COVID happened. So four years later, um, when we finally did, it felt like we really knew the disciples because we had been sitting in that for so long, um, like kind of on a casual level, if that makes sense. It sort of felt like buddies. Um, and when we finally started Acts in January of 21, I just couldn't stop smiling. And truthfully, here we are a few years later, and I'm still pretty excited about it. Um, because it was just so exciting. We watched these guys transform through the power of the Holy Spirit from those who were often confused, concerned about the wrong things, fearful to the point of deserting Jesus in his hour of need, sometimes impetuous, Peter, uh, and generally just trying to figure things out to those who were doing it. They were speaking boldly. They were loving well. They were unified in mind and mission. They were courageous to the point of death for the name of Jesus. And the church was exploding. I still feel like a proud friend when I talk about them. Um, so just listen to this description of the earliest community of believers from Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? I read that and think, how do we have a community that looks like that? Uh, they're in the temple together and in their homes together for shared meals daily. They are meeting each other's needs. They're folding in new people. Caught that at the end, right? Um, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. They are praising the Lord. They have glad and generous hearts. They are devoted to spiritual disciplines as they live out their faith, teaching, fellowship, the Lord's Supper, um, prayer. It's a picture of hospitality and community cultivation um, happening concurrently. Strangers are welcome to the table while they live out what it looks like to pursue the Lord and be his family together. It's a consistent flow of sorts. Jesus himself identified the greatest commandment in the law, of course. Um, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. 
Doesn't Acts 2 sound like the early church living out those two commandments? In uh, the Gospel Comes with a House Key, which I don't know how many of you have read that book, um, it talks about radical hospitality, and I'll be truthful that as I read it, it terrified me. <laughs> but Rosaria Butterfield is the author, and she writes, Christian hospitality cares for the things that our neighbors are, care about. Esteeming others more highly than ourselves means nothing less. It means starting where you are and looking around for those who need you. It means communicating Christian love in word and deed. It means making yourself trustworthy enough to bear burdens of real life and real problems. Isn't that the picture of Jesus as he walked the earth? How did Jesus love his neighbors as he walked the earth in human form? Jesus entered in, and we see the apostles entering in. He did daily life with a group of people. He celebrated with them, he wept with them, and mourned with them. He called out their sin and invited them to a better way, the living of life the way God intended. He met practical and emotional needs. He made time for people. He put others first and sacrificed his own wants and perceived needs. He loved well, well, perfectly actually, right? Um, in a hands-on, life-on-life way. And the apostles started doing the same, building the early church family in much the same way, albeit less perfectly than our Savior. Jesus meets people and folds them in, meets more, folds in more. Not all are in the inner circle of 12, but his broad number of disciples following him everywhere continued to grow. And Acts 2 is a very similar picture of that. So we're going to go again just quickly through a few scriptures just to like in our minds just have the Lord's words of what it looks like to love others as ourselves as we go into this next segment. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. <clears throat> Ephesians 5.1-2, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant <clears throat> offering and sacrifice to God. Philippians 2, 3 through 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. But each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Colossians 3, 12 through 17, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Colossians 4, 5 through 6. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. These verses and many, many others uh, paint a picture of the character traits and fruit of the Spirit needed to engage with others well, whether believers or not, and the beautiful results of a community marked by shared pursuit of Jesus. Just reading these words and imagining them lived out is refreshing to my soul and hopefully to yours. Um, however, unless you are experiencing this right now, 
can feel daunting to know how to begin um, and how to bridge that gap between current reality with any given person or group and these pictures of Christ-centered spiritual family living on mission together. Even the phrase, the art of hospitality, can feel intimidating if you are unpracticed in it. As I have grappled with putting together this content for a community of artists, as a non-artist, I actually identify very much like Eric as a, <laughs> I'm not an artist in that regard. Um, the Lord has made it clear that the art and the hospitality isn't really about a list of specific details that make people feel welcome when they walk through a door or sit at a table. Rather, it's one, adopting a heart posture that values others as worthy of welcoming, knowing and loving. So that whether you are in line at the store or regularly hosting people in your home, you live hospitably. Two, using the ways in which you have been uniquely created and your various spiritual gifts and talents, and this room is filled with talents uh, that I admire a lot, to intentionally extend hospitality. And three, doing all of this unto the glory of God, that he might be known and various, or I'm sorry, and um, others might experience his love through us. My hope with the remaining time is to divide, dive into the practical side of this. Uh, so we are gonna move to my house for that. Um, the idea will be that we share ideas with each other, um, answer questions we may have, and address hindrances to hospitality or even fears. Um, so this may be just new ideas that we can glean from each other, or maybe there are some people that haven't practiced this yet, and this will hopefully spur you on to begin that endeavor. Um, it's gonna require maybe a tiny bit of bravery because I'm gonna ask you to, you know, turn to two or three neighbors and discuss questions or respond, and then we'll respond collectively. Um, so not everybody will have to respond collectively, but I am gonna encourage you to be a little bit brave with two or three nearby you. Um,